0: Hello and welcome to Sobercast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day.
1: My name is Geraldine. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Welcome to all the newcomers. I was a newcomer for, uh, seven years on and off and, um, I don't recommend it. (laughs) I recommend it's better to come to AA and stay, but I was not able to do it and I learned a lot. Um, anyways, um, I, I now I have one year, I have, uh, over one year, I, Work my steps with a sponsor that I really, really uh, like. I really, really respect her. Um, she's very patient. I usually meet her on Sunday morning or, or Monday evening. And uh, my first year, um, I cried every morning when I met her. Every morning, every uh, every Sunday morning, I cried. And I thought all the time that she was going to tell me I can't do it anymore. because <laughs> I was a mess. I was a total mess my first year, and she stayed. So um, my goal is to be like her and to help other alcoholics and addicts and to have her dedication and patience. Um, anyway, I am French. I grew up um, in a very violent um household. My mom is a, was a drunk. She still drinks. Um, my, bio, my biologic dad, um, he was a big drunk. And, uh, my parents were not happy. So, um, they were not very, it was not very happy. Well, it was never happy at home. It was very, very sad. Um, there was never any encouragement it was always actually they didn't even mention anything Um, and when they did it was never good enough or I could have done better and I learned at a very young age that um, I didn't matter and then what I was always doing was wrong. I learned how to feel very negative and being very very depressed I'm dressed in black, but it's because I had nothing else. I'm not depressed anymore, not like that. <laughs> I, I realized when I was like, I have to tell all these people that I used to be depressed, and I'm dressed in black. But, but I'm better, I'm better. Um, I um, Well, I learned, I I started to have panic attacks, a lot of anxiety, being stressed out at a very young age, my parents sent me see a shrink. I was very, very young. And um, my mother wouldn't tell the doctor that she had a drinking problem. So it was always like, yeah, my daughter is not normal. Look at her. And uh, my mom was totally normal. I mean, she was drunk, but she was absolutely normal. Um, it's funny now that, to look at my childhood because I think it's funny. But when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, when I was 20, it was not funny at all and uh it's only actually a year ago when i less than a year ago when i uh had my first year that i forgave my mom i i held a grudge for like 25 years anyways um i was uh, i was not drinking a lot um it it came later but um what happened is that um i was very 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 depressed and, um, I never knew where to put myself. Very anxious. I didn't have any friends. Uh, I, uh, listened to the Smiths a lot and I read books. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I read books. Um, I only had my world and I wasn't able to connect with other person my age. At school, I was always alone. Um, <laughs> i was anxious i was i hated myself i hated myself so i started to my parents were very very uh, politically engaged and when we grew up we would uh, we would be in communes um in poland for example so when we w- we would fly there my parents i was so freaked out in the plane that uh, my dad would give me alcohol and my mom would give me valium and i knew at a very young age that it was working <laughs> yeah <laughs> because <laughs> i would pass out um, and it was actually very normal. 40 years ago, giving alcohol, in France, giving alcohol or pills to a child, I don't think it was bad. People did it. So anyways, um, I wouldn't recommend it either. Um, it's only, I think, when I got, when I was 20, um, my grandma, my grandpa, my boyfriend, and my father died. And I started to, I lost my shit. And I said, fuck it. And I had a breast cancer. So, um, I really said, fuck it. And, uh, I started to, I started to hate myself even more. I didn't know how to self-care. Um, the anxiety was there and I, I had no reassurance around me. So, I was just very depressed. Um, the only, um, the only thing that worked was getting drunk. And that I knew. I knew how to get drunk. Taking pill, I, I used to steal them from my mom or my grandma and I always carried them with me. Um, I was, even when I would go out to baths, I didn't talk to people. I didn't really relate to anything. I was just like in my own world and I felt that I was in a body that I didn't understand and in a world that was way too, way too crazy, way too sad. And I, and I started to react very, 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 strongly to things. Um I I never felt enough, I never felt good enough. I never felt um smart enough, skinny enough, um all these things. I never felt enough and I felt too much. I was never in the middle. And for me that's uh, that was a big problem all my life and um actually my therapist and um uh, my sponsor helped me to when I feel so negative I know now how to breathe, how to sit down, how to be alone with myself, how to pray, how to meditate. He's going to tell me five minutes. Yeah. How to pray. And I, I still listen to the Smiths and it's really helpful. It's helpful now. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I just want to say that, um, I came a long way and that I really thought I would never have one year because I was such a mess. Even when I came to AA, I was like, these people have, have their shit together compar- compared to me. I was still shoplifting. I was still, uh, acting out. I was still violent. I was still doing all these things because I hated myself so much. And it's only last Christmas that, um, it's only in October last year that, um, I was like, Géraldine, if you go out now and you don't have one year, you're never going to do it. So I spent Christmas Christmas alone last year. I went to see a movie alone. And I forced myself and I told myself, you have to do it now. If you don't stay sober now, you will never do it. You have tried everything to stay sober. So... It's a miracle I stayed sober, but I called, uh, people, I went to Rockridge fellowship and people were nice, nice enough to stay with me. I, um, I think I had dinner mm-hmm. lunch there. Uh, I went to five meetings a day and I kept doing that. Mm-hmm. And when the pain was too big inside too painful, when it was too painful, I kept going back to meetings and, uh, I listened, for the first time, I listened to what people had to say to me. And when people wanted to help me, then I didn't tell them to fuck off, but I actually listened. And uh, I, I learned so much. I learned everything I know. I know it from here, working the steps. Um I work my step very, very slowly. Uh, I don't know why. I, I, I write a lot. You can ask my husband. I write all the time, but, uh, I'm only on step four, so I feel I know nothing, but I feel I can, uh, tell the newcomers that if you feel awkward with like me, or if you feel like you never were, never know where to put yourself, or if you feel ugly, fat, lame, stupid, you don't have to, um, you will get better. And trust me, I'm the living proof that you can get better because I was the biggest mess ever. And I, <laughs> and, uh, I'm actually happy now. Um, I don't know. I, I have bad days. You can also ask my husband. I cry a lot still, but it's better. And, um, I surround myself with a lot of, uh, nice people. A lot of people that are uh, that think positive, and I'm learning how to think positive and to change my uh, behavior and my thinking. Is it time? So, um, if you're a newcomer, don't be discouraged because really I've been a newcomer for seven years and I know how much it hurts. But um, you can get better because I'm better. So, thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm
0: Ashley. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I've never talked in front of a room of people this long ever, so I'm really nervous. Um, All right. Um, So um, what I was like, I'm trying to think. Growing up, um, I was a high school accident. Um, my parents worked at the movie theater together. I was most likely conceived during Top Gun. <laughs> um, thanks, thanks for telling me, mom. Um, but, yeah, uh, my mom, my mom is, uh, also programmed for over 20 years now, but, um, I'm older than that, so, I grew up, um, in split households. Both my parents were super young. So it wasn't like I was back and forth between mom and dad. It was like I was back and forth between mom, dad, grandma, aunt, uncle over there, like some friend. And, um, so I just remember my entire childhood kind of. Um, I was a very weird kid, super weird. Um, All I did was read. I didn't have friends. I just wanted to learn. So I did good in school. But other than that, like, I was super isolated. Um, And I just remember having this keen awareness of feeling like a burden. Like, from even, like, age eight, I just remember feeling like I can't speak up if I need something. And just that I had to take care of myself because uh, no one else was going to. And, uh, you know, I, I remember when I got to high school, it kind of my, you hit that point where you start becoming more aware of the world around you. And I remember for me, uh, that time was extremely difficult. Like my adolescence, uh, consisted of a lot of outside, outside issues, um, You know, I had, I struggled really, really hard with eating disorders, like self-mutilation, stuff like that for a few years. And, uh, you know, I went through a lot of programs. A lot of them didn't work. And finally, I went through one where I thought, um, you know, some issues were getting resolved. But like in retrospect, I'm looking at it and it's like, or you picked up your first drink, which is exactly what happened. So I kind of got a late start for a lot of people in, I, I didn't pick up my first drink till I was 16, but what I do know is that the first time I ever drank, I had four beers, and I was maybe like a buck ten. And, uh, and I remember that I was pissed that there wasn't more, and I knew it did something, but I knew that it was nowhere near where it could take me, and I wanted to get there as fast as possible. Um, so I was kind of sheltered, like, I went to a a private all-girls school, so it, like, took me a while to find the alcohol, and then, boom, I was off and running, like, within six months, like, you know, I was doing anything... It's my time. (laughs) I was doing, um, anything I could get my hands on or that someone would hand me, you know? I wouldn't even ask, like, I was totally one of those, like, so what is that gonna do to me? Um, (laughs) and, uh... Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't know how I passed high school. I mean, kind of like I was one of those kids that I'd be like doing, doing lines off my chemistry book, doing my homework at like four in the morning. Like that's how I passed high school. And, um, there's always this really intense drive in me that I like, I wanted to learn. I wanted to be educated. Like, I chose to go to a girls' school because I didn't want distractions. And um, I was very driven. But um, that all kind of went down the toilet once I started using. Um, you know, I was really – I was on the rowing team, and I was doing really well. And we were going to go to, like, the Junior Olympics and stuff. And then I couldn't do it anymore because it interfered with my drinking and my using. And I just couldn't do it. So I quit, you know. And that was the first, like, instance of quitting was right away. And, uh, I don't know, but I graduated somehow and got accepted to UC Santa Cruz. So, um, I remember that summer between high school and college was like, took off for me. I was drinking every single night, every night, all night. Um, I don't know if I have the, Pleasure or the displeasure of not being a blackout drinker. Um, I distinctly remember all of it, everything I did, all the time. Um, so that was like the first real time that, like, in my life where I started to notice, like, that it was affecting, like, what people think of me and how they see me, and that that didn't line up with how I viewed myself in my head. And, uh, it really started to mess with me a lot, but, Um, I just kind of hit this point where like, I just kind of embraced it. Like I knew I couldn't stop the behavior. So instead I internalized that, like, yeah, that's just who I am. I'm a crazy drunk and like, I don't give a shit about anything, but like, that wasn't true. That's not who I am. I cared a lot. Um, but there was nothing, I wasn't going to change my, my drinking it didn't matter that, um, I could see the effects already in terms of like who I was hanging out with. And even that's what those people think of me, Jesus, you know? And, um, yeah, so I went to college and, uh, I remember my dad just like praying the entire time when he dropped me off and, uh, yeah, he should have prayed harder. Uh, And, uh, yeah, it only took a year and they were, I was asked not to live there. And then, and then I was asked just to leave. Um, so I didn't know what I was doing. So I had some friends in the city. So I just, uh, took off and moved in with someone I knew in San Francisco and, uh, did whatever I wanted all the time. And, uh, you know, I had, um, I started to get like pretty crazy at this point. Like I would do just like crazy stuff. I just didn't really care. I would just go with the flow and do anything and I get like stranded places and like I wouldn't learn though. I wouldn't learn that like maybe you shouldn't just like take off because like the end destination sounds fun when like you don't have any money or way to get back or anything. And um you know, so I did a lot of weird stuff. Like I like ran away with a street magician to New Orleans. (laughs) I like um followed a girl halfway around the world to Guam and like lived there for six months and didn't tell anyone until I was already there. And um Yeah and it was just like that was cool because I was 19 and the drinking age was 18. So that was awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah. So then I kind of hit this like point where things started to kind of look okay on the outside. Like I came back from Guam on vacation and instead, um, decided that I was moving in with my waiter Um, when I was out to dinner in San Francisco and that's exactly what I did. I moved in with my waiter and, um, so, um, I, I held that one hostage for three years and like during those three years, like it kind of looked okay on the outside. Like I was going to community college and I was, um, and you know, I was in a stable, steady relationship, what it looked like on the outside. And, um, I had a job that I showed up on time to and worked really hard at and um, that's what it looked like on the outside but on the inside it was like the reason why I was attracted to this person mm-hmm. the reason why I like oh, sponsy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and the reason why um, I was attracted to this person was because they drank and used like I did I was like, "Yeah, you're like 12 years older than me. Have your own apartment, and like still get fucked up like I do. That's what's up." And um, yeah, and so I did that for a really long time, and uh, and then I think I was I was 23. I was 23, and um, I finally kind of realized that like it isn't normal to like do blow five times a week like that's not something that's just you know you like to party and um and that was the first and there were lots of signs and I mean I had lots of instances during my using like when I was in group therapy and they're like we want to diagnose you with this thing and I was like I think I just can't quit doing drugs but I keep trying actually and no one suggested that I like seek treatment or anything and then again in college when I had like a list a page and a half of write-ups due to alcohol and drug use on campus and no one said anything to me and even my mom just kind of let me figure it out on my own and um you know but this was the first time in my life where I was like I think something's wrong I think something's really wrong and I'm trying to quit and I can't every day I would wake up and be like I'm not gonna do drugs today I'm just not going to do it today. And, you know, the second I left the house to go to work, because I was working at a bar, like, I was like, oh, there's my dealer at the bar. I'm going to get some drugs. And, um, and this just went on and went on and went on. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong. I didn't have any idea of how to change it. And, uh, so I decided that it was him. He was the problem. So I thought maybe if I distance myself from this relationship, like, I'll, I'll, figure it out. I'll straighten up a little bit. And uh that's not what happened. I moved out and within a month I got fired from two jobs that you were actually encouraged to drink at for my drinking. <laughs> um that's how much of a drunk I was. Like I worked at like a bar where they're like I worked at two bars where they were like Yeah, no, get customers to buy you shots. And they were like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) you're really good at that, but you're not supposed to actually drink all of them when you're that good at it. And, um, I didn't listen. You know, I couldn't take advice. Like I would, I would try so hard to like absorb what people are telling me and like actually execute their suggestions. But when it came to like my drinking, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And, uh, so. Um, yeah, so I got fired from two jobs within a month. Um, had some other really gnarly things happen that, uh, I think were, it was like, it wasn't like my bottom was like this slow descent or like this, uh, really abrupt thing. It was just like nine months straight of like awful shit happening over and over and over again, like traumatic events. And it finally ended, um, with basically like I decided even though I was doing a lot of shady stuff that I should, um, date this cop I met at work and, uh, that was not actually using good decision making and, um, Yeah, not on my part. So, um, I don't think either of our parts actually, but, uh, yeah. And so this was like kind of the final blow for me was, it was like, uh, they, you know, this person was like, I think you're doing all the shady stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. And, uh, it got crazy and it got violent and it really fucked me up really bad. And I just, um, I was already so low emotionally that like this really just set me off and, um, I was really scared and, uh, I didn't know it's, I got to that point where like, I can't tell the truth on the false. I don't know what good, what's good, what's bad, who's good, who's bad. Um, I don't know if I'm good. Um, and I just had no idea what to do about this situation that was causing me so much, um, internal difficulties. And I just remember I was sitting at this bar around the corner from my house and I was just drinking and drinking and drinking. And drinking and drinking. And I'm not a blackout drinker. So I'm drinking and drinking and drinking. And not even for five seconds could I check out and forget about this traumatic experience. And uh, and that was it. It was like that was the moment that it stopped working for me. And uh, that was the only solution I had to life. Like, no matter what, the bottle was always going to be there for me, right? And uh, and it wasn't. It didn't hold up its end of the bargain. And uh, in that moment, I decided, all right, well, you know what? There's, there's nothing left here for me. And uh, I went home, and uh, I was frantically trying to look up directions to the Golden Gate Bridge and getting crazy because my smartphone wouldn't tell me how to get there at 11 p.m. on a Monday. <laughs> and uh, and I was, like, throwing things, and my roommate came in and kind of cornered me and was like, what is going on? And uh, I told her my plan was that I was going to go jump off the bridge right now. And, uh, you know, she was very cool about it. She was just like, oh, well, I mean, would you like to get committed? And, uh, and i was like oh whoa that's actually a good idea like maybe i should take 72 hours to think about this real quick and um you know just so, so she got me into some sweatpants and like cut off the string and like all this stuff she's like i know how this goes and um, and uh you know went and dropped me off and uh Yeah. And, uh, so I did that and, uh, they immediately decided to pump me full of Advan, and that was awesome. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I don't even remember calling anyone, but apparently I called my stepdad and I kind of told him what happened and, uh, my mom shows up when I'm supposed to be released and she's like super hysterical. She's hysterical, obviously. She's hysterical. Like I was about to kill myself and now I'm in a mental institution. And um and I just remember like I was I told the people working there like I can't deal with her right now. She's gonna set off my panic attacks again and like there's only so much drugs can do for me right now. And um <laughs> and and I remember like um and this was the day after St. Patrick's Day and so my friend was was coming to pick me up but they were taking a while they were taking a while they were pretty hungover and um so i just remember pushing past my hysterical mother so that i could get in a car with my friends so that i could get fucked up again that's what i did and uh you know and we were like finally my mom agreed like my mom got me to agree to meet at her house and uh and at that point uh you know, I, I was all, I had like three nicotine patches on because the nurse forgot to take them off. And then I was, I was smoking a pack of cigarettes at the same time and I had immediately popped another out of van the second they released me, obviously. And, uh, and like my friend was hungover and we're like trying to find my house and we're just like, we had to pull over. And we were both just vomiting out of either side of this vehicle. And like that was that was my life at that point. And uh, you know my mom finally convinced me to get in the fucking car and uh, I you know we're driving back down to San Jose, which is where I grew up and she was like, "You're moving home and you're gonna get sober." And uh, I just didn't have any more angles just to shoot at that point. I don't know why. I don't know why I said okay. But I did. And uh, so, you know, the next night, she took me to my first meeting um, of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, it was a speaker meeting. And so we went up to, like, the speaker afterwards. And she, uh, my mom asked if I could have her number. And instead, she threw a book at me, told me she was my sponsor, that I was supposed to tell text her three things I'm grateful for tomorrow and that I was meeting her at Starbucks at noon. And I was like, oh, okay, well, like, let me ask my mom if she can drive me because I haven't had a car in, like, seven years um, for the best. And, um, yeah, and that's what happened. So I met this woman at, you know, Starbucks at noon the next day. And, uh, she just looked at me and was like, are you fucking high right now? And I was like, no, it's cool. It's because, you know, the doctor gave it to me and she was like, uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to fucking sponsor you if you're high. So either throw them out or like, I'm not going to sponsor you. And I, I don't know why I can tell you this right now. I didn't know. And if you're new in here and you're questioning, like, anything about whether you want to be here or if you even want sobriety or anything like that, I can tell you right now, like, I had no idea if I wanted to be sober. A lot of me didn't want to be sober. I had no idea what I was doing, but, um, but, oh, jeez. Uh, hold on okay um, I'm actually chairing a speaker meeting right now I'm going to call you right back as soon as I'm done okay okay bye alright that's kind of my general rule Sponcy calls you three times in a row you answer uh, don't get bloated um uh, all right. Um, oh, man. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't know. I didn't know. In fact, a lot of me didn't want to stay sober, but I had to go to court and I was like, I stay sober at someone. You want to know the truth? I stayed sober at a stupid cop. That's what I did. And, um, you know, so I had to go to court and I was like, I'm just going to do this thing so that I can stay sober until I go to court. And, um, you know, and that was, you know, I threw out the pills and I met this woman. And that's, you know, that's what happened for me. And I know this isn't a lot of people's story. And I mean, fuck, but that's my story is, you know, I went to my first meeting, got a sponsor, got a book, met with them, threw out my drugs and started working the steps. And I haven't had to have a drink or use a drug since. And that was March, um, March 21st of 2011. And, um, you know, I started working the steps and it was at someone, you know, people say like, Oh, you can't get sober. Like for someone else or for some outside reason, like it has to be for yourself. And like, I'm going to tell you, like, not at first it doesn't eventually it has to be for you, but not at first. No. Cause I stayed sober at someone. Fuck that guy. And, um, and, uh, so, so, you know, I just kept saying like, oh, I'm just going to be sober until this date. I'm just going to be, and then, you know, my court date gets deferred and so I have to go back. So I'm like, well, I'm going to show up sober to that one too. And, uh, and so that's kind of how it went. And, you know, next thing you know, it was like, I was going to have major surgery four days after my final court date. And uh, I was like. I was going to meetings every day. I did 90 and 90 cause that's what someone told me to do. And, uh, it was right around this point that I realized, um, my sponsor, um, was not the one for me. And, uh, so that was my, my first sponsor was my temporary sponsor. And I found someone who worked for me cause I was ready to drop my faith. I was like, I want to do this because this is the most stressful thing I've ever done is go to this court date where I actually have to go through with the thing. And then I'm having major head and neck surgery again. And, um, So I dropped my fifth and I got out of that court, you know, that court session. And it was like, all right, well, you're about to get a prescription for drugs because they're going to rip your face open and then put it back together. Um, do you want to get loaded? You said you could get loaded (coughs) after this court date. Is that what you want to do? And, uh, and I didn't, you know, and, uh, I really didn't want to, like I already saw how my life was changing, how my relationships with my family and my friends had changed. And also that terrifying feeling of like not being able to tell the truth from the false, like that was changing. I was getting a brighter grasp on like what was reality. Cause I had no idea what reality was when I got into the rooms and, um, and I decided I didn't want to. You know, and I had surgery, and like I had someone hold on to my drugs, and I took them as prescribed as needed for pain. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, my first few months. And, uh, how much time is this? Oh my good lord, it's a lot of time left. Um, all right, so, uh, so, yeah. And, um, I, I don't know. I kind of go hard, like, sometimes. So, like, I, when I first got sober, like, I had moved back to San Jose, I had nothing to my name, and, like, enrolled for school and started attending, like, four days later. So I had, like, three days when I went back to school. But obviously, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just taking whatever looked fun, because I was like, that's what you do, right? You just go back to school. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, so I did that for a minute, and then I was like, You know, and things were all right. Like, good things started happening to me. Like, uh, you know, I had a car for the first time in seven years. And like, it was in my name. The title. I paid for it myself. And, uh, I had a job. And I didn't like it, but I showed up. And, uh, and I was going to school. And I was just kept going to meetings. And like, I was making friends. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget the first time when I was sober that I realized that I could have fun. Because for me, when I came in, I really just was resigned to the fact that, like, I was never going to have fun again. My life was going to be boring. I was going to be boring, which was, frankly, kind of terrifying for me. But I was like, you know what? That's better. It's better. I'd rather have that than the life I'm living. And uh, I remember the first time I had fun. It was the typical um, young people kidnapping where they were just like, get in the car. And they um, <laughs> got in the car and, like, we went to Santa Cruz and we went to the tide pools at Natural Bridges. And I remember it was just that simple. It was just that simple of, like, wow, these people are, like, trying to hang out with me. Like, they remembered my name and they called me and they showed up because, like, that's what we do here. We remember your name and we call you. And we show up and, um, and, uh, I remember that was the moment where it changed where I was like, maybe I can actually have a good life if I just keep doing this thing instead of a boring humdrum, but I don't want to kill myself all the time life. And, um, yeah. And so good things started happening. Like I got some prizes, you know, and the car, I was going back to school um, I got some inheritance and I went to Europe and it was all fancy and stuff and it was awesome. And, um, and, um, finally, you know, after like two years, I remember, oh my gosh, I was so freaked out cause I was going to go back to UC Santa Cruz and try and see if I could go back. And I remember I had no idea what I was doing. I was so terrified at this moment. And, uh, I had a little over two years and I remember driving there just being terrified so terrified like what if they tell me they don't ever want to see me again like I have no idea like they told me to leave on multiple terms and um you know I went in and they were like it happened to be drop-in advising and I went and talked to someone and they were like oh literally you just need to like fill out this form and turn it into this office over there and pay them $25 and um and at that point uh I realized wow 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 how much else is like my fear getting in the way of me accomplishing in terms of things I want to do with my life. And, uh, so that was the beginning of a really long journey that thankfully just ended like three weeks ago. Um, but yeah, so that was, um, like two and a half years ago, I went back to college and, um, it was really, really good at first. Like, but I was going way too hard, way too hard. Like I was working full time and I was going to school and um, I was doing like art and theater, which means I'm just stuck there all the time. And like my phone didn't get service because UC Santa Cruz likes in the woods. And so I couldn't even like talk to another alcoholic, even though I was stuck there for like 14 hours a day, five days a week. And um, I was kind of starting to go a little nuts. But um eventually, you know, Basically what forced me to slow down was um I found out that I had another tumor, but that this time it wasn't benign and it was cancerous. And so I was gonna have to um think goodness, I didn't have to um go through uh, go through chemo, but I did have to do radiation. So um that was the Hardest thing I've been through. Sober, definitely. Um, it's been a year since I finished treatment, but, um, yeah, my whole world kind of stopped and my whole world got really, really small. Um, in terms of my sobriety, it kind of like, it was hard because, um, it was so difficult for me and I didn't, I didn't want to open up. I didn't feel safe. I felt really unsafe and, uh, trying to go to meetings, but I didn't want to, you know, it's kind of funny. So like I actually got permission from my sponsor to stop, um, talking to newcomers for a little while cause they, I couldn't lie. So people would ask me how I was doing and I was like fucking terrible. And they're like, (laughs) well, have you prayed about it today? And I would be like, yeah, yeah, I did, but praying doesn't cure cancer, so thanks a lot. Like, you too can have this at four years. You too. And, um, and I was like, whoa, like, I think this is damaging me and other people. Can I just not do this right now? And, um, you know, that was my life. And that was the thing with, I was just so like, Am I spiritually fit? And I kept doing the checklist. I was like, I'm talking to my sponsees. Like I'm working steps with my sponsor. I'm working steps with my sponsees. Like I'm going to meetings and like I'm praying and I'm meditating and like I'm doing my best. And that was just where I was at. was like I really had to acknowledge and accept the fact that like I'm just really, really fucked off. And I'm doing everything I possibly can to stay sober and be spiritually fit. And that I just need to accept that I'm like really unhappy right now. And that's it. And that's just where I'm at. And, uh, it was really hard. It was really hard. Um, and, uh, so I, I got sober with Santa Clara County. So I was, um, I ended up going to the All California Conference for Young People in AA when it was in Reading. And, um, I was there with Santa Clara County's, um, Wipaw group and, uh, they, won the bid for the conference and I don't know why I had just had surgery and I was waiting to start radiation and uh, I don't know why, but I put myself out there and like, I don't know why people voted me in, but they did probably cause they didn't know. Um, and so, um, yeah, I had a commitment where the entertainment officer. I was like an officer on this committee to plan this conference for like 3000 fucking people while I was going through radiation therapy. And, uh, that was so gnarly and I wanted to quit so many times, so many times. Cause I finished radiation therapy and went back to school two weeks later. I don't know why I did, except I go hard, <laughs> I go hard on everything, sober or loaded. And, um, and, uh, I just knew, I just knew like I pretty much trickled down my meetings cause I didn't feel safe anywhere you know? And like, I knew I needed to keep this commitment. I just need to show up every other week and, uh, do this thing, you know? And I front loaded all my con- you know, and I back loaded everything. And I just said, all right, we're just going to keep it. We're just going to keep showing up even though we really want to quit right now. And I can honestly say that like that service commitment is why I'm standing here today. Because when I finished treatment, it wasn't like uh, wasn't like I was just physically worn down. like it left me to the bone physically, mentally, and spiritually at fucking nothing. And uh, every day I woke up and it was like, okay, you have three options today. You can kill yourself, get loaded, or just try going to school just for today. And every day I kept being like, let's just go to school. You can always get drunk or kill yourself tomorrow. And that's what I did every day for nine months. And you know what? I didn't have a higher power either during that time. And that was a really hard thing for me to deal with was that um, I had this idea that Alcoholics Anonymous told me that without one, I can't stay sober. And that was not true for me. I didn't have a higher power. And I just kept showing up and doing everything that was suggested to me. And I got to stay here and find a new happiness and a new freedom without one. And the only thing that really got me through that, though, was faith. Because I just had this faith that like, this is temporary. This is temporary. Even though you're not okay right now, you're really not, and you really should seek outside help. Um, like, eventually you will be. And, uh, I just kept going with that. I just kept having faith that like, I will be okay as long as I stay in the middle of this and as long as I keep doing what I know got me sober. And, uh, and that's what I did. And you know what? It changes. It always changes. And right when I was at the point where I was like, I don't know how much longer I can keep going like this, this, I can't keep doing this that much longer. Fucking can it change already? You know, and that moment of surrender for me was really like when it started to change. That's usually how it goes for me. I can rail against my life all I fucking want, and the second I just throw my hands up and, like, fucking something needs to happen, and it's not going to be for me, obviously. It changes. And, um... And, uh, yeah. I just graduated college. What the fuck? And let me just tell you, 10-year plan, still a plan. Okay? And, uh... And, like, I have trouble making decisions. <coughs> One minute. Okay. I have trouble making decisions and I have trouble taking risks. And you know what? Sometimes you just need to trust and believe. And, uh, I made a huge decision recently. That's terrifying to me. And I decided to sell everything I own, which I just did. And I'm getting on a plane in a week and a half and I'm going to new Orleans and I'm moving there. And this time I'm not running away because I did the work. That this program taught me to do to figure out what I want and how to get there. And this is a huge leap of faith that I'm making. And I'm terrified and excited. And that's the last thing I'm going to say is like the only way you walk through fear is scared of shit.
1: <laughs> Thank you.